You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Grand Rising, everybody. Welcome to the day with Trey. I want to welcome you to another What's the Word Wednesday. And of course, it's also a wonderful Wednesday. That sun is shining bright out there, even though it is very cold. That's okay. Uh, We will accept the sun anytime it wants to pop out. But we got a great show for you guys today. I get to tap in with our guy, Brian Callanan. He's going to be giving us some early election results. We're going to figure out what happened last night. Also, we got to sneak peek of Seattle News Views and Brews and hear what he and David Croman will be talking about on that episode tonight. So you guys want to make sure you stay tuned for that. And I'm so excited. Lauren is playing Frankie right now uh, in Jagged Little Pill that's going on at Paramount Theater. I was able to see it last night. Loved it. So I'll be diving into that a little bit later on in the show. But of course, it is the top of the show. So it's a great time for y'all to tag and share the stream. Go ahead, tag and share the stream with folks you feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on the day with trey if you can't watch us you can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcast just search converge media network and the day with trey y'all will find me there on google spotify itunes soundcloud you name it we're on all the platforms pick your favorite one and search for us and y'all should find us well of course we got a lot to dive into today so i want to get right into it with my guy brian callanan what's up brian oh so much. We've been uh, chasing after so much stuff with elections for Seattle Channel over the past 24 hours. We tried to cover what we could on Seattle News, Views and Brews. The show's on tonight at seven. But where do you want to start, Trey? Because there's a lot to cover here. Oh, my goodness. You know, for me, I'm going to be honest. I need to go straight to the 37th district. This is a tight race, I Mm -hmm. think, in terms of community and where people were trying to figure out, you know, Mm -hmm. what is Chapalo going to bring? What Mm -hmm. is Amaja going to bring? Tell us a bit about those results. Yeah, it looks like uh, Chapalo's ahead in that race. It's not uh, an overwhelming majority just yet, but it is a substantial majority. So we'll have to see what happens there. And I I really do think that in looking at a number of the different races in our area and around the country, I think what we saw was a lot of the district Democrats were mobilized. They were out. They were trying to make sure that voters were keying in on issues regarding reproductive safety, things of this nature. And I think that extra boost may have helped out candidates like Chapalo Street uh, in terms of what he was able to do. The district Democrats, he was able to rally and get endorsements from. I think that political machine really helped out a lot of different candidates. A lot of the grassroots candidates, I think about Amaja Smith. I think about Leah Griffin over in the uh, 34th district over in West Seattle. Uh, Another grassroots kind of campaigner she got uh, beat pretty badly in the election last night. So I'm not sure what that says about that grassroots organizing. I know it's important. I know making those community connections is important, but also you're up against some big political machinery, if I if I can call it that, from the Democratic Party. And that really pushed a lot of different races, a lot of different ways. So uh, that was a definite, uh, definite observation I had from last night. Well, you know, it, it, I love that you're able to bring that kind of layer of insight into yeah. this, because for so many of us who work in community, yeah. you know, we understand the need for community voice mm-hmm. to guide our candidates yeah. so that they have a real base of community support when mm-hmm. they get into the position. But sometimes we don't understand some of those other layers yeah. there, Brian. 
Brian. Yeah. And I guess I would say that if you want a candidate who made those community connections and had those connections from the district Democrats, that'll be Lisa Mannion for county prosecutor. I know that's a race a lot of people have been following here in terms of were we going to pick Lisa Mannion, who is the current chief of staff for the prosecutor's office, or were we going to go with Jim Farrell, who is the mayor of Federal Way, also served with the prosecutor's office a few years ago? I think he was really pushing for a little bit more of a law and order type of platform there, although he did talk about restorative justice as well. He also had a lot of support from the police guilds, like the Seattle Police Officers Guild, for, for that matter, and a number of others around our region here, around King County. And I think that in terms of what Mannion brought to the table, it was those district Democrats. She was able to get endorsements from just about all of them in King County. The 47th endorsed both candidates there. So she had that and she had those different community connections too. And I think that's what pushed her over the top in a race that I think a lot of people really were expecting Jim Farrell to make a big, big move in that. Not that the race is over by any stretch, but that 54% for Mannion to 44% for Farrell, that those are big numbers there and they can't be denied. Yeah, those are big numbers. And I absolutely agree with you in terms of, you know, Lisa saying, look, I'm going to be all over this thing and I'm going to make connections in the right ways. And Mm -hmm. I think too, that when we hear about, you know, this kind of law and order approach, Mm -hmm. I think in, in recent history, we've really seen how that doesn't always work for everybody. Mm -hmm. It really still feels like a top down approach that I think for some folks in terms of community that I'm around, it's not a comfortable position. Yeah. And, and Mannion called it a balanced approach. And I think that's what's, that's kind of where you're going with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. And And I think that there are, you know, we realize when it comes to politics, like you said just a second ago, there's heavy machines involved in this. And even though it should be something that's like, hey, this is the voice of the people. You also think that there's other people that are in groups that have a group identity that I think they push through these elections. What are some of the other results that may have been surprising to you, Brian? I don't know if it was surprising necessarily, but some expectations that at least in the 8th Congressional District, we're talking about Kim Schreier and Matt Larkin out there, kind of over on the east side, a lot of different national pundits were saying this was going to be a toss up kind of a situation here. It looks like Schreier's got that one pretty well handled with 53% versus 47% of the vote for Larkin on election night, at least. And so we'll see where that one goes. And I will have to say this. I thought the Murray Smiley race would be a lot closer. That race was called last night on election night. And uh, when you think about and this is the other piece of it, you talk about the machinery, talk about the grassroots, all that going on. Got to talk about money, too, because that's a U.S. Senate race that raised the most money in Washington state history for a U.S. Senate race. More than 20 million dollars for each campaign. Think about that. So there's a lot of dollars floating around here, too. I think that was a big push with this. Smiley actually outgained Murray in terms of dollars over the last couple of weeks of the campaign. Money doesn't buy everything, though. Clearly, we saw that here. And so it's really interesting to look at that race. Uh, Certainly those those two different congressional races. And then another one that I'm really paying close attention to is down in the third legislative district, kind of down by Vancouver, et cetera. Uh, Marie Perez down there looks like she's going to end up. Well, she's ahead, at least over Joe Kent big Trump supporter, election denier, things of this nature. And so I think we're seeing not necessarily a red wave here. There's a red ripple definitely around the country. I know we saw it in Florida. Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor there, won handily. He actually flipped over a couple of Democratic districts, at least districts that voted Democrat last time. So that's something to keep an eye on nationally. But I think here locally, we saw a really big move 
by the United Democratic uh, front here, if you will, that helped a lot of these candidates get over the top. Well, it's really interesting because in Washington state, I think we always experience a kind of blue wave, right? Sure, we're, right. We're, we're, we're in a bit that. of a bubble here. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're used to that in, in that regard. But yeah. it's interesting when we see the red creeping in. I yeah. mean, this is something that I think we all mm -hmm. have to pay close attention to, because when we think about how that's going to impact policy mm -hmm. and legislation, yeah. I get down to the brass tacks here because that's yeah. what is going to be experienced by everyday families in yeah. Washington state. It is. And there's one other issue when you talk about partisanship or whatever else. I thought it was very interesting to look at the Washington State Secretary of State race. So you got Steve Hobbs, who is the incumbent. He was appointed to the position last year. Then you've got Julie Anderson, the Pierce County Auditor. She was going up against him. He's a Democrat. She was very fiercely nonpartisan. And so it was interesting. She said, I'm not taking money from the Dems. I'm not taking money from the GOP. I'm running this campaign just like this. I think the Secretary of State's office should be nonpartisan. I think a lot of people agree with that because Hobbs, even even though he's the incumbent, has a pretty slim lead of 50% to 47% right now. But interestingly there, and this is where it gets really weird, but you start looking inside the stats, the actual write-in votes, that doesn't happen that often. But in that race, more than 3% of the voters, at least on the election day account, more than 3% of the voters were write-in votes. And there were a number of Republicans out there who were trying to support Brad Clippert, who was a representative of the 8th District out in Kennewick. And they said, let's write him in. I think a lot of people did that, which unfortunately, at least from Julie Anderson's perspective, took away from her and might have given the Democrat the seat. So a lot of inside baseball going on with this. But that partisanship issue, you know, we're talking about division throughout this country. And I guess the big point that I take away from it when you look at nationally and locally, well, more nationally, I guess, than locally. But looking at it nationally, there wasn't a red wave. But do we emerge from this election with any clear mandate. And I don't know if we truly have that, right? I don't know if it was like, okay, clearly we need to try to figure out what the GOP is doing and, and work on that type of agenda. Or clearly the, the blues got this going on and we need to go here. So I, I think it's a bit of a mix and match around the country here. It's something that we need to keep an eye on, certainly locally here. And we're going to see a lot more with these races in the days upcoming as these vote counts continue. Well, one of the last things I want to say about yeah. this is that we as a country have experienced kind of, uh, you know, flipping of rights. We have seen it happen. And it's been a huge issue. Yeah. I think that a lot of people went into the election understanding that from both sides. Okay, here, sure, sure. Right? Whether it's okay, all right, now we're seeing some wins. We want to push for that. Yeah. Or it alerted people and said, sure. oh my goodness, they're taking yeah. away, you know, certain civil liberties that yeah. we've had for generations. Yeah. What are we going to do about that? So yeah. I think that there was a lot of lived experience mm -hmm. that was really coming into this election in particular mm -hmm. because of what we've just experienced recently. Yeah. Yeah. I think that plays a heavy role in this. Yeah. And let me make one last point just with regard to the city of Seattle. Remember, we had that proposition one on the ballot that said, OK, are we going to change the way we vote? Are we going to use approval voting or ranked choice voting? Very interestingly, at least election night numbers show 51 percent of people in Seattle said no. We don't want to do that in terms of that one A, one B part. Which one would they choose if we did change it? They're choosing ranked choice voting by a landslide, more than 70 percent there. But that very first question, do we want to change the system? I think people still have some questions about that. And very interestingly, this played out in San Juan County and Clark County, where both counties had ranked choice voting on the ballot. Both of those measures were defeated pretty significantly. So. Are we there yet when it comes to changing our voting system? I'm not sure. We'll have to see what happens in the city of Seattle. But I think a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on this city when it comes to ranked choice voting. I know King County is talking about it. I know the state is talking about a local options bill where it could give different jurisdictions that ability to change their systems. But it is definitely something that I, I, I think 
plays out with this larger issue of how important is your vote? How can my vote be, make sure that it's counted, make sure that it's collected in a way that we're reflecting all the different candidates and the populace that we have. So uh, a really important note about city of Seattle there. And those numbers may change on that yes, no thing. So that's definitely one to keep a close eye on. Well, it is. But one of the things I want to say immediately yeah. about that is we don't have enough education about what it mm. looks like on the other side. And yeah. I think that that, that um, instability, that insecurity. You're, with you're it, not that, wrong. It was complicated. Know, yeah. yeah. The, the, the idea of not really knowing what that means yeah. for us, that is really key. Anytime we're talking about changing any system, yeah. you have to have a flood of education and information for yeah. people to understand how that change is going to affect them. Yeah. We have gotten used to the way the system is right now. We right. really have. I yeah. mean, whether it's, of you course. know, inequitable, it's, you know, it has all this racism built it. We have gotten used to a certain system. It's what we know. Yeah. It's what we know. Yeah. And so to go into the unknown oftentimes isn't comfortable for people. Mm -hmm. That's why that unknown has to have so much information mm -hmm. impacted. And you have to really go district to district, you know, city to city, community to community to really educate every voter on what it looks like on the other side. Yeah. We may not be there yet, no. but it's something that we can work toward. What can folks look forward to tonight on Seattle News, Views and Bruce? They can hear a little bit about some of the different voter turnout numbers. We're definitely talking about that. Some of the early issues that were going on there. Not as many people are turning out as King County thought. We're also talking about some important budget issues for the city of Seattle. Remember, that's still out there, folks. It looked like they would have this wrapped up by the 21st of this month, but there's a new budget shortfall that they're talking about that's actually going to push this out another week. Some big, big issues going on there, some big, big dollars. Make sure you tune into the show tonight at seven o'clock right here on Converge and hit me up on Twitter at Callanan Seattle is a great way to do that. And thank you as always, Trey. Brian. Every time we talk about the budget, I take I know. a deep breath, brother. You, you better. Like, oh, you better. Goodness, yeah. Here we go. Because anytime we're talking about shortfalls, yeah. we are seeing that it means that money is being taken from very needed services, yep. voted on services, yep. what the public thought money was going to be spent on, yep. gets redirected. This is going to be one to stay tuned with. We got There's some tough decisions out there because the real estate excise tax, that happens when there's different things changing hands, properties changing hands. Haven't seen a lot of that. It's actually $61 million less than what they thought it would be. Wow. That's a big hole. And that means that a lot of these different earmarked projects that different council members were looking for, maybe we're not going to get those this time around. So council member Mosqueda, the budget chair said, hold up, we got to pull the brakes on this. The package that she was supposed to have out on the 14th, she's saying, I really need to do some more work on this. It's going to come out the 21st. And that's why we're pushing this ahead a week. It doesn't always happen like that, but the council wants to get this done so that they have something that the mayor is going to agree with, not veto here and have a program that everybody can agree with and uh, hopefully serves the city of Seattle. Wow. Sounds like folks definitely it's need lot, to tune in lot tonight. Going on. Brian, thank you as always for you being betray. here. I appreciate your insight because without you, I wouldn't even be able to really dive into these things. Oh, I'm right. telling you, yeah. I appreciate you so much, Brian. Thank you. Back at you, Trey. Thanks. Oh my gosh. Make sure you guys tune in tonight to Seattle News, Views and Brews right here on Converge Media at 7 p.m. There is so much to dive into, and particularly for those of you who are really wanting to understand the insight behind what we experienced last night in terms of election results. Make sure you guys are tuning in. Of course, I am so excited because after this short break, I get to talk to Lauren Chanel. She plays Frankie in Jagged Little Pill that's going on right now at the Paramount Theater. I encourage you guys to get your tickets, but you guys get to hear a little bit of insight in this show because I saw it last night. So up next, Lauren Chanel, right after this short break. Stay tuned. You're watching The Day with Trey. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. 
We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender, and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. Welcome back, everybody, to the day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and joining me right now is Lauren Chanel. What's up, Lauren? <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are good. you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I'm going to dive into the beginnings of you being on that stage last night. Tell us about what made you say, you know, acting is my thing. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to go after it. Just tell us about those beginnings. Yeah. So um, I come from a very talented family. Um, they're into music, into the arts. So from a young age, maybe like, I know I have pictures of four, I, not that I remember, but I have pictures of like four holding, you know, a mic with a karaoke machine, uh, singing at church and things like that. And then I started going to performing arts high school, not until um, sophomore year. But yeah, I would say around 16 is when I really was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Wow. And, you know, I had similar experiences. I started really young. But for me, uh, you know, it was like there was this thing about this love of on camera, on stage, all of that. Tell us about how theater has really kind of shaped who you are. Because I know for me, the experiences that I had were always, they're so like earmarked in my history and like my memory yeah. as like bringing something different to my life. Tell us a bit about yeah. how theater has done that for you. Yeah. So for me personally, um, I used to have a tendency of being very reserved or um, quiet. And with theater, it's more like, get it out, get it out, be more outspoken and um, things like that. So I think it has helped me shape my character, my personality, how I am today. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. Uh, I mean, and you were just, you were definitely putting it out there in, <laughs> in the role of Frankie yes. last night. Uh, you know, I was talking to our colleague, Jay Martin Jr. You know, we, we sat up afterwards. I had to wait for him and I was like, we just got to talk a little bit about what we just witnessed. This show is really a depiction of what so many families are experiencing mm -hmm. in American life. Tell us a bit about how this show, uh, had this role that you're playing as Frankie, how that maybe connects to who you are and how you're able to really bring that character out on stage? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, personally, majority of my life, I have been in a predominantly white <laughs> area, meaning um, like elementary, middle school, high school. Um, I live in a suburban area, that type of feel. And um, Frankie, being a transracial adoptee, um, as in the environment of predominantly white people um, and wanting to not suppress certain things and try and figure out, okay, cool. Like I can express myself with this, with this person, or I know when I'm home, not so like this, or when I'm with these type of um, environment, you know, I can't act a certain way. So I think that um, my personal experience has helped me bring about the role of Frankie and Frankie herself has brought, she is very outspoken, very, <laughs> I'm gonna tell how it is. Yeah. That has helped me be able to be like, I'm gonna speak my mind. I'm, apologetically. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it was so refreshing, honestly, Frankie, the, the character, because it brought so much addition to the story. Now, this is a story of an American family. They adopt you when you're young and this white American family and in a white uh, neighborhood, right. right? And white kind of town. But but really, your character brings so much to the, the story in terms of, you know, figuring out sexuality and all of that. Tell us a bit about the 
nuances of how you really bring that to life on stage? Yeah. Um, Personally, coming into this, I had to read books and, and watch TV things because we do touch subjects on sexuality um, and a range of spectrum. Um, also with sexual assault, navigating that um, of not just being a bystander, but how to how can I help in different you know variety of ways of doing so. Um, things with marriage, dealing with a family whose marriages could be, you know, becoming broken or broken or how to mend things like that. Um, I feel like a lot of research and things have helped me navigate this as, as Lauren Chanel within Frankie as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm grateful because I think a lot of times people don't understand the work that goes behind portraying a character, Yeah, you know, um, especially when that character has so much depth as Frankie does. But, you know, aside from Frankie, there's this amazing cast that you're yeah. around. I mean, you guys are singing, you guys are dancing, you guys are doing the full gambit. Tell us a bit about what it's meant to you to be in, you know, involved Ooh. in this amazing like cast. Sometimes it becomes like, oh, man, and everybody becomes family members. Just tell us a bit about how it is working with everybody on stage. Yeah, um, coming into this was surreal. We're working with Heidi, the Heidi, and it's it's she was the original, um, not the original, but she was in the Broadway production of Jagged. So coming into that, it's like, oh my gosh, like I gotta be top tier ten. I'm pretty sure we were all feeling like we all gonna be on tens, tens, tens. But you know, of course, that wasn't the case. It's a whole journey with the rehearsal process, but the cast is phenomenal in so many ways. The dancers they be dancing, yes. <laughs> they be eating. The singers throw down. Um, the acting is is it's it's phenomenal with really capturing the um, realistic approach of all these events. Yeah. Well, you know, I went last night with my mom. Shout uh -huh. out to you, mama. And uh, <laughs> it was beautiful because, you know, the story of, of uh, you know, the mother in particular, right? And it mimics so much of what we're seeing in our country in terms of, you know, abuse of op opioids. Mm -hmm. And it happens oftentimes from something like that, a car accident, you know, a, a fall, an accident, right? Like in labor or something like we, we've seen this um, uh, so much, the proliferation. And then you have this climactic, you know, event happening where it brings the family together, which I think is so indicative of what a lot of families experience to this day. Tell us a bit about those ebbs and flows in terms of emotion that you have to give to really portray like, hey, look, I'm on my own. And then you're like, oh, my God, I got to be there with family. It yeah. really is something that uh, I think the audience really felt because you guys were really portraying it so beautifully. Yeah. Um, I would say to answer that, uh, <laughs> everything goes really back to the rehearsal process and really sitting there with all these individuals, um, dealing with our own certain things, which we do, um, and being my predominant role, which is this transracial adoptee. I have to navigate everybody's life. I have to take the audience on the journey of, okay, cool. This is my relationship with these family and with these people, but also this is what they're dealing with and this is how we're going to deal with it. And I think it, it is a array of emotions for me personally during the show and for the audience watching the show. And um, I feel like as long as we're being authentic and honest yeah. as possible with it, it helps portray that message. Yeah, it definitely does. I would say to anybody like this is a show to go and see yeah. because it is so 
much a reflection of today's times. Like in that, for me and my mom, we talked about it. You have, you know, sexual assault, you have drug abuse, you have this whole the dichotomy of trying to figure out sexuality. You have this perfect kid who's like dealing with right. trying to stay perfect for everyone. I mean, it really, there's like something for everybody in this yeah. show. And that was, you know, I've said it before, but this was really like a, a real uh, depiction of that for me. Uh, and being there with my mom, we were both like, man, okay, wow. Oh, well, goodness. You know, that was amazing. You know, that was amazing. But I, I want to call out something that was very special. The dancers. Okay. Oh, like, hey. I mean, when I tell you the way that with that one scene where they were, he was with the mom and the, and then dancing with, oh my God. It was yes. like, and then the whole backward scene. Oh, oh my God. Insane. I, Favorite I, number. I mean, I, I, I was literally like this i was i was like dumbfounded yeah it was so well done and i i was excited just tell us about some of those high Ooh. peak moments for you yes well my favorite moments in the show is smiling the backwards number because it's backwards and who can remember cool if this is what i look like putting the mic down forward okay i have to now make it and then make it look kind of weird a little bit like this it's fascinating i'm not in the number but i, I love watching that and also uninvited the yeah, you have to come see it. You got to come see yeah. it. You got to come see it. But uninvited? Woo! But just the whole blackout with only one light and, 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 and even like the dancing, them portraying and really showing that emotion in freaking it's unreal yeah yeah unreal. you know I, I what i really appreciate when i get to sit down with someone like yourself is how excited you still are about the right. show right it's like look yeah we're doing it broadway across america but i'm still you still get so excited yeah. by watching it and that's what the audience feels every time an actor or an actress like yourself pours that into the role so i just kudos to you Thank for you. doing such a phenomenal job your voice is amazing <laughs> uh you. you know my mom and I were just talking about it on the way home, just how brilliant everyone was. It was top tier show. I loved it. Uh, and then, of course, for any Alanis Morissette fan, they're going to follow the songs. And really, each one of the songs was so special in the moment it was portraying, in the scene that it was in. It was like it was written for this. And I'm telling you, for somebody who was like, man, we experienced her music years ago and for it to see it like this is so phenomenal so kudos to you, thank you, thank you. Uh, make sure you look right there let them know how long yes. the show is going on and how they can get their tickets we are here for a week you can get your tickets either by going on jagalittlepill.com um, the tickets are there look it up on google it's all there come see us in seattle yes absolutely lauren thank you so much for joining thank me thank you today. for having me you're amazing thank you oh my gosh you know what lauren gives me hope about the future of theater i'm telling you the show was phenomenal Phenomenal. I'll make sure I wrap all of this up right after this short break. You guys stay tuned. You're watching The David Trey. Welcome back, everybody, to The David Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday. What a great episode today. Got to give a huge shout out to my guest, of course, Brian Callanan of Seattle News Views and Brews, always bringing us the word of the day for Wednesdays. We appreciate him so much. And make sure you guys tap in to Seattle News Views and Brews tonight. Sounds like lots going on. They're diving into the insight of these election results that we're 
experiencing from last night. And also they're staying on the budget. Make sure you guys tap in with him. And a huge shout out to Lauren Chanel for being here from Jagged Little Pill. Her role as Frankie is so incredible. It is dynamic and it is complex in so many great ways. I encourage you guys to go check out these amazing shows. You guys heard me talking to Jay just yesterday about all the great shows that we've seen recently. And he was there last night. We're probably going to have to do a whole recap on Jagged Little Pill. It was amazing. And again, it tells a story that so many of us can connect with, whether it's a family that have experienced these things or we're experiencing them ourselves. There's something for everyone here. Make sure you guys go get your tickets. You can find them at stgpresents.org as well as jagglelittlepill.com. Go and check out this show. It's only here for a week, so make sure you get your tickets today. Well, of course, I'm so excited to have y'all on because for me, stories of people are inspirational. And what Lauren shared about how she got so inspired as a teenager to be on stage and to be doing this kind of work, she's doing what she can to be a part of the solution by bringing these characters like Frankie to life. I want y'all to be inspired. Of course, her story inspired me. I want that inspiration to continue on to all of you out there so you can find your way to see yourself as a part of the solution. And for me, until tomorrow, y'all, at 11 a.m. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.